as, uh, as a Christian's life should be lived. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. I would ask you please take your Bibles. Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we are going to be reading verses 9 through 12 this morning for our text. And so I'd ask you, if you're able, please stand together with me as we read from God's Word. <clears throat> James chapter 1, verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms fall and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. I, I think that there is a, a significant portion of the American uh, populace that, that stress uh, a great deal over money. We either feel like we never have enough or we stress over the keeping of what we do have. Stress over money causes a number of problems in people's lives. Stress over money is one of the major factors in divorce in our society. As a Christian, we must be careful never to allow our possessions, money, or the things that money can buy to possess us. And James wrote this letter um, of James that we have before us, one of the earliest, possibly the earliest of all the New Testament books, and he wrote it to uh, the Jewish Christians to inform them, if you are truly a Christian, this is what you're supposed to look like. And we've been reminded of that two Sundays ago. We, we said, this is what the book of James is all about. What do you look like as a Christian? James is telling us. And then last week, we looked at what it means for a Christian when you're having all kinds of trials and temptations and troubles coming into your life. Well, how does a Christian deal with that? And now this morning, we are going to look specifically at how a Christian is to live in times of financial difficulties. When you're having financial difficulties yourself, how is it that you are supposed to view money and wealth and all the things that money can buy? And so with that, we have three points you have an outline in your bulletin. Um, it all, I think, has to do with the difference. The, the, the Christians are supposed to have a difference in an attitude towards finances uh, than the world. And so part of that difference in the attitude is, is, first of all, to understand your worth as a Christian. One pastor has said, James is writing to Jewish Christians. One of the problems that was prevalent among the Jews was their concept of wealth. They believed that material wealth was a sign of God's favor. In practical terms, they considered that the more money you have, the more God must love you. Isn't that 
an attitude that we see so prevalent in, in many churches in America today. In fact, you can probably go home and, and turn on the television this afternoon and find one of the televangelists that's there, and, and it will be on how, how prosperous you will be if you're a Christian because God loves you and He wants to make you prosperous. And so you can have everything you want if you're faithful enough. God will give it to you. Right here and right now, you can have your very best life right now. And that's how God shows you that He loves you, is making you prosperous. That was the attitude that the, that the Jews had. And so it was the attitude that carried on over to these early Jewish Christians, and it's an attitude that seems to be prevalent in our world today. Um, but I think that James is telling us quite the opposite. What he's telling the, uh, the Jewish Christians here is that, uh, no, the blessing isn't necessarily just all the finances that God gives you. It's quite the opposite. He's telling us that our worth to God is not determined by how much money we have in the bank or how many toys we have or how many good things we have that money can buy for us. I want you to notice uh, here in verse 9, he starts off, he says, The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. First of all, he calls him a brother. This is a brother in Christ. And he's saying, brothers in Christ have this low position uh, or, or humble circumstances. And he's talking about not a whole lot of money here. Uh, people might look at you and go, you're not very successful here. Right? You're not very prosperous. But he's saying, uh, this, this brother that's in this circumstance ought to take pride in his high position. He calls him a brother. Brothers, you have this type of circumstance. Now notice, verse 10 he goes to the other end. He says, but the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. Which one's called brother? The one in the low position. The one in the humble position. He doesn't call the wealthy man a brother. Now, commentators um, are not in complete agreement on this, whether the one in verse 10 is, is he is he talking about a Christian or not? We're not real sure, but he doesn't call him a brother. It's an interesting thing. Second, I want you to notice that the, the poor man is in the high position. He's the one who's in the high position with God. How in the world can you be in a high position with God if you're in the humble circumstance? Well, I think... Uh, we, we need to remember some of Jesus' instructions to us. In uh, Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus says, There are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered, so don't be afraid you're worth more than many sparrows. Don't be, don't be afraid. Don't think you're not worth much to God because you don't have a whole lot. No, you're worth a whole lot to him. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, of course, says, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not, uh, are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the lilies of the field, how they grow. 
They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? The brother in humble circumstances, you see, must trust God. That's a higher position. He must trust God, which Jesus is always uh, calling us to do. And he's able to see that his worth to God is not based on how much financial wealth God has given to him. God has given us something so much greater. God has given us his own son. That's how much God loves us. If we look at our life and we think, well, he doesn't love me very much. I don't have a, a whole lot here. God demonstrates, you see, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much does God love you? Well, he doesn't love me very much. I don't have a lot of money. No, not at all. That's not at all the way we're to think about it. How much does God love me? He loves me so much that even while I was in rebellion against him, even while I was telling him to go on and leave me alone, even while I was a sinner in cosmic rebellion against him, he sent his own son to die for me. But that's incredible love. Is that not showing so much more love? And then Paul, again in Romans 8, verse 32, he said, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God will provide all that we have need of. God will provide all that we have need need of and he has shown us that by sending his own son to die for us those in humble circumstances have the high position because they're the ones who truly have to look to god for all of their provisions they are worth and they recognize how much they are worth to god not because of the physical financial blessings that, that they've been given but because god's sovereign control over their life and his provision of his son for their salvation. Secondly, so we see that, that our worth is not determined by how much God gives us financially. Our worth is more determined by the fact that he's given us his son. And uh, secondly, I want you to understand, we need to understand here, um, our security. The Beatles famously saying, money can't buy me love, right? Well, I want you to know that it can't buy me security either. Um, he says here in verses uh, 10 and 11, uh, he's talking about the rich man and uh, in, in, in all of his position, all of his possessions. He says, for the sun rises in the scorching heat and withers the plant and the blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Jesus said, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. We think if we begin to put our security in our finances and the things that we own in this life, it's the wrong place. And James is reminding us of this. It will be destroyed. It can be destroyed. If we're putting our, our trust in that, Jesus talks about moth and rust destroying and thieves breaking in and stealing. We don't even necessarily need that. We have a way of destroying, destroying it ourselves, don't we? 
We cannot find any ultimate security in our wealth. It's amazing to see uh, individuals, in, especially in the entertainment uh, field, who become so incredibly wealthy. And you and I might think, if I only had a million dollars, I could never spend all that. Mike Tyson, who was the world champion heavyweight boxer, he made uh, $300 million in his career. You say, I can't ever spend a million. Think of $300 million, right? And you think, there's no way I could, I could uh, spend that much. Well, in 2003, Mike Tyson filed for bankruptcy, and he owed $27 million. Has a way of growing wings and flying away, doesn't it? If you're putting your secure, if you're thinking your security is in the finances or the different things that finances can provide for you, your security is in the wrong place. I think part of the reason for this is that, that, that those who have money, they don't seem to think that they need to, to, to trust in God. You remember the rich, rich young ruler who came to Jesus? And he says, I, I, want to, I want to follow you. I want to be in the kingdom of heaven with you. And, and, so, and so he says, what must I do? And Jesus said, obey the commandments. And he said, which one? And Jesus listed the second table. And he says, all this I've done since I was young. And then Jesus said, yeah, one more thing then. Go and take everything that you have and sell it and then give the money to the poor. And then you can come and follow me. The rich man's countenance fell. And he turned and walked away. <laughs> he couldn't follow Jesus and truly trust in him because he needed to trust in his finances. And then Jesus said in Matthew 19, he says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Why is this? Again, someone has written, it is because when you're rich and when you're financially comfortable, you don't have any real needs. And when you get to that point, it's not too long until you don't need God. Thus, when you come to God, it's no longer out of sense of need, but only because you're doing God a favor. It seems that that so often happens. People get their wealth and they've, they've looked to God for all of the provisions and now they've got enough finances to provide for whatever they could ever imagine they want. And, well, God's not really that important any longer. Even if we do not have money, I think we might run the risk of putting our security in money rather than God and we continue to pursue it so much that we're, we're not trusting in Him. We're looking for our security and the things of this world and the things that this world can provide. We have social security, right? What's social security supposed to be about? Well, when the time comes and we, we're uh, too old to work any longer and we, so we retire, and then our social security kicks in so that we'll be financially secure. How's that working for people? How's that going to work for you? You look at your Social Security and go, I'm going to live on that, right? I don't think any, it, it was never intended to be enough for us to live on. And, and I think a lot of people are being surprised Social Security is not keeping me secure as I thought maybe it should have. God calls us not to trust 
in our wealth, not to trust in our government to provide for us, rather we're to put our trust for our security in God alone. And our security as Christians is not to be judged by how much money we have, but on how powerful the ruler of the universe is who is in control of our lives. Thirdly, and finally here we see, we understand that our worth is not really based on how much financial wealth God has given us. Rather, our worth is seen by how much God has given us in His Son. Um, our, we need to understand that our security should not be based on how much money we have, but on the one who's in control of our lives. Thirdly, we need to understand power. Uh, look with me in verse 12 here. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love Him. He's going to receive the crown of life. What, who wears the crown? Isn't it the rulers? Kings? Queens? They're the ones that get to, get to wear the crowns. Maybe you've seen some television show where someone becomes the king and when they become the king, you know, someone puts the crown on their head. It's because they're the ones who are the rulers who receive the, the crown of life. Who is the ruler? who receives the crown of life. Remember in creation when God made man, Genesis chapter 1, God said, let us make man our image and in our likeness and let them rule over all the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And God blessed them and said to them, be, free, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God created us to rule, right? What happened? Well, when Satan comes and tempts man they, uh, and, and man eats of the forbidden fruit, he, he gives that rule to Satan and Satan becomes the prince of the power of the air, right? The ruler of this world. And then what happens? And then Jesus comes. And once again, Jesus is tempted in the wilderness even as Eve was in the garden, even as the nation of Israel was in the wilderness when they failed as well. And every time Satan comes and tempts him, he defeats him by quoting Scripture, the Scripture which God gives to the people in Deuteronomy just before they entered the land when he's saying to them, when Satan came and tempted you this way in the wilderness, you should have responded this way. And Jesus responds in exactly the way that he should. And in doing that, he defeats Satan and wins that rule back. And so Jesus, after his resurrection, meets his disciples in Matthew 28, and he says to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And now we recognize he is risen, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the one ruling all of his kingdom. He's wearing the crown. But James here says, we will wear the crown. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, said, here is a trustworthy saying. If we live with him, uh, if we die with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. We always assume the golden rule in this world, you know the golden rule, he who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> it seems to be true in this world, especially in our government, when we see how votes can so easily be purchased by people. But James instructs us that we will receive the crown of life when we persevere under trials. Trials that include at times not 
having what we might think we need enough of, enough money. But true, ultimate power doesn't come from controlling all the money, rather it comes by ruling with Christ. And if we persevere to the end, we receive the crown of life to rule together with Him. Our power as Christians doesn't come through our money. Our power as Christians comes by our association with the one who has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now, I don't know this for certain, but I, but I, I think that possibly there's not a single one of us in here this morning who hasn't at least had some concern over our financial situation this past week. Probably most of us are thinking we don't have nearly enough. What am I going to do? I don't think it's wrong for a Christian to plan for the future and you know plan for your retirement and try to make sure, but if we're so concerned and so worried about it and, and, and in any way think that we're the ones in control of it, we're, we're missing what James is telling us here. We just need to remember that whatever financial situation you find yourself in, your worth, your security, and your power don't come from your money. So why worry? Remember when Peter was so concerned about paying the temple tax? And he went to Jesus and he said, there's some guys out here demanding we pay the temple tax and there's not enough money in our, in our treasury here, our, our little bag that we got. I think Judas took some of it. Um, you remember what Jesus tells him? Jesus told him, and, and this is one of my favorite things, okay? Jesus told him to go out and catch a fish. I really like that one. Jesus tells him to go out and catch a fish. And so when he catches the fish, he says, take the coin out of its mouth. <laughs> Just enough money to pay the temple tax. Who's in charge here? Who's in control? Who has all the, the, the power? The one who's in control of putting the money in the fish's mouth is the same one who's in control of your situation in your life, wherever you are right now. And I want, I want you to know that he loves you. And He will provide for you. So how are you going to react in your financial situation right now? We need to understand that the brother in humble circumstances is the glory in his high position. May that, as Christians, may that be our attitude about finances as well as we go from this place today. Let's pray.